0: This episode of Stroke of Genius is sponsored by the global law firm Squire Patent Boggs. They understand that protecting and defending IP is vital to the success of every business. Their intellectual property and technology practice consists of more than 100 attorneys committed to helping you protect and defend your most valuable intellectual assets. Learn more at www.squirepatentboggs.com. Welcome to Stroke of Genius, a show exploring inventions, the inventors behind them, and the role intellectual property plays in dreams becoming reality.
1: Again, the message I give to kids about patents would be, hey, would you ever go out and spend a lot of time and a lot of money, you know, building a house and making it very valuable if you didn't have a deed to the land? If you thought that after you spent your time and money, you built this house, somebody could show up and say, I like that house, I'll take it, or I'll copy it.
0: I'm your host, Andrea Madho. I'm a startup founder, a CEO, and co-inventor with patent-pending technology. In the final episode of Season 2, we're speaking with world-renowned entrepreneur and inventor Dean Kamen. He's most notably known as the guy who invented the Segway. But Dean Kamen is incredibly prolific. His genius has made an impact across multiple industries, from medicine to entertainment and even disaster relief.
1: My name is Dean Kamen. I'm the founder of FIRST Robotics, and I'm the president of DECA Research and Development. In my day job, I have now about 700 technology people, and we try to conceive, design, develop, prototype, and sometimes bring into full production new ways to use technology, mostly in the medical field, to give people better resources when they have a medical or clinical need. For my nights and weekends, I keep promoting my first robotics program to get now tens of thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of kids every year to think about using science, technology, engineering, mathematics, to develop the tool sets so that they can invent new solutions to old problems and to give those kids confidence that they can become innovators, that they can use their knowledge, particularly of technology, to help create a better world.
0: At 68 years old, Dean Kamen has built a successful hybrid career, spanning his time between multiple companies and education initiatives. While he currently holds a staggering number of patents, he can still recall his very first invention.
1: I shared a bedroom with my older brother until my younger brother and sister were born, and then we all moved around. While I shared a room with my brother, it was easy to get him to help me make my bed in the morning as I helped him with his. He would stand at one end on one side of the bed, I'd stand on the other and we'd synchronize pull and we would pull the sheets and the blanket taut at the head of the bed and then run to the foot of the bed and do the same thing. When I was there all on my own and only about as tall as the bed, I'd pull from one side and if I pulled a little too far, I'd have to run all the way around to the other side, big trip and pull again and do the same thing on all four corners. It was a lot of work. And then one day I saw my mom using a clothesline with a pulley at one end attached to a pole in the backyard and pulling the stuff in. Then it could essentially be pushed out because she was pulling on the other string, the other end of the pulley. I realized if I just took that pulley and those strings off her line and attached them to one corner of the bed, I could stand at the other corner and pull the sheets with one end and pull
0: my little pulley assembly with the other and I'd have an automatic bed maker. Creating his automatic bedmaker was a novel experience. This Rube Goldberg machine was enough to get Dean hooked on finding tech-based solutions to everyday problems. It was
1: my first time at taking what seems like an elegant, simple idea and dealing with the ugly realities of the laws of physics and the rules of engineering and trying to implement the solution taught me that you better be prepared to try and try again, and after failing a few more times, try again. But it becomes then even more exhilarating when you finally do succeed, and there you're looking at a real manifestation, a physically working system uh, that was conceived and developed in your imagination. It didn't turn out to be a major industrial market, uh, and I think at the age of five or six, I realized that uh, I'd probably need to move on to bigger and better inventions down the road.
0: Similar to Thomas Edison's early years, Dean didn't do well in school and had teachers that openly expressed their doubt in his future success. He is dyslexic, which made school an uneasy setting. And as he grew up, he started to realize that a traditional classroom might not be the most conducive environment for his mentality for several reasons.
1: By the time I got even into junior high school, there were two things I knew pretty well. One is I don't like being told what to do. I didn't like it when my parents did it. It always seemed that they were giving me arbitrary instruction. I didn't like it when teachers did it because I didn't have context. Why do I need to learn that? And I realized that if I'm not going to be happy taking direction from people, I probably wouldn't be a good employee because as I said, I wasn't a good student. So I better figure out how to succeed and build myself a career without needing to do that. So I decided, I know what I'll do. I will create real solutions to people's problems. And if they are real solutions and they meet the needs better than anything that's currently available, Those people ought to happily pay me for my better alternative, either because it's better or it's less costly than the current situation. And I started a company.
0: While most teens were starting their first job in low-stakes positions being paid for their labor, Dean set up a shop in his parents' basement and positioned himself to start getting paid for his ideas. It was
1: the early days of what we would now call the the age of disco, where instead of running little speakers with your amplifiers, you could run all the lights in a place and have the whole building throbbing with powerful speakers and powerful lights. And young people love that and bands love that. So I decided it was all enabled by these power semiconductors, which you could buy back in those days off the shelf in Radio Shack. So I would go after school to Radio Shack, buy these components, assemble them into systems that would be both light shows and power amplifiers and started selling them to local kids bands and ended up building more sophisticated lighting control systems eventually one that went into and ran a major light show in the Museum of Natural History in New York I grew up down on Long Island And I never looked back from the money I made making those electrical and lighting systems. I reinvested it in buying oscilloscopes and electronics and eventually a small lathe and a small milling machine, all of which I poured into my parents' basement. And then I started making not just electronic things, but electromechanical things.
0: Before he even graduated high school, Dean's inventions were bringing in an income that was greater than both of his parents' income combined. It was also around this time that he began to show interest in experimenting within the medical field.
1: I had an older brother at the time who was just going through medical school, a pediatric cancer specialist, a very, very dedicated person, a special person to do that kind of work. But he'd come home from med school and complain about the fact that, in many cases, his patients were three, four, five-pound tiny babies. And to deliver drugs to these kids, cancer agents to these kids, He couldn't use the stuff that's made to give drugs to adults. The, the, The quantities and the precision just don't fit. So I'd go down in the basement and make these tiny, little, very precise drug delivery systems for him. And again, it wasn't to make money in that case. I was helping my brother. Brothers don't pay you anything, but my brother, being very proud of what his little brother could do, would show these things to his professors. And he was at Yale at one point and showed it to people doing endocrinology and taking care of people with diabetes. And at Harvard, he was at Children's Hospital in Boston. He was dealing with people again dealing with cancer and, and all of a sudden these professors of his would start calling and saying I need some of these and not for a rare disease like these pediatric cancers but in the case as I said of diabetes the most common chronic need for delivering a drug through a syringe was insulin and diabetes. So I started making what became known as the world's first uh, insulin pumps for diabetes and then later moved out of the basement and built a whole business around supplying technology to the various fields in the, in the medical world that could benefit from you know, better technology.
0: These pumps were the first of many medical breakthroughs that Dean would invent. He called his new product the auto syringe and created a company to distribute it. It was a portable device that could automatically administer doses of medication to patients who required round-the-clock treatment, saving them daily trips to the hospital and allowing them to be treated in the comfort and privacy of their own homes. The value of the auto syringe was immediately recognized in the medical community, and Dean sold the business to an international healthcare company, became a millionaire, and dropped out of college. He had always struggled to find his purpose in the classroom, and the success of his first real invention was further confirmation that his future didn't need to follow a conventional path.
1: Isaac Newton said, Education is about learning the solutions that have been delivered to us through the ages. What I learned about inventing is... When you start on a project or a problem that hasn't been solved in the past, there is no answer in the back of the book, you rarely find a straight line that gets you from the problem statement to the answer. Instead. You try all sorts of different things, most of which don't work. Hopefully, you learn from the ones that don't work. You start to understand why they didn't work. And eventually, as you eliminate all the reasons things could work but didn't, you finally get to the one that could work that does. And aha, that's that moment where you say, I have an invention, and it solves a problem, and it works, and here it is.
0: Dean's ability to invent solutions and solve problems is inexhaustible. With the profits from the sale of auto syringe, he founded DECA Research and Development, where he works with over 700 technologists, scientists, engineers, and staff to develop innovative products for third-party companies and advance his own projects.
2: It is very difficult to keep up with the sheer number of things being invented and understanding which ones should be prioritized for protection, but it's also just a great deal of fun.
0: This is Maureen Tui, intellectual property Wiz at DECA aka Dean's patent attorney.
2: I've worked uh, with Dean Kamen in a variety of capacities for almost 20 years now. I had started as a scientist, but I found that the day-to-day experimentation maybe wasn't uh, what really jazzed me, but instead being able to understand the science because of my background, but then think about it strategically. How do you protect it? How do you assert it? How do you license it? How do you monetize it and be able to spend time on that strategy, understand the fundamentals of the underlying technology was really what I found fascinating.
0: There are few people out there who've gotten to witness Dean Kamen's invention process so intimately.
2: He'll come in or he'll, he'll uh, call me and he'll describe an interesting idea that he had. And then the next day, he'll realize what the flaw was in that. And then the next day, he'll realize that he knows the one problem that needs to get solved. And I think he starts from fundamental physics every time and says, what are all the ways I could sense that? Could I use light? Could I use sound? Could I use this? Could I use that? How am I going to do that? And you'll see that process as he tries and fails for several days in a row and then runs in with the solution, the final solution that makes the invention truly an innovation.
1: There's a huge difference between invention and innovation. An invention is any new and different configuration of something that never existed before. You can patent those things. An innovation is the result of an invention being so well understood and accepted that it becomes part of the way we live and work and play, and it changes the world. That's an
0: innovation. He addressed another common assumption in the world of ideas. Does an inventor need to be an entrepreneur?
1: I think it's another one of those fundamental misunderstandings by the general public about each of those words. And I would strongly suggest to you they're not the same, and no, an inventor doesn't have to be an entrepreneur, and no, an entrepreneur does not have to be an inventor. But there are a lot of people that are great inventors, but as long as they understand themselves that they're not entrepreneurs, that this thing is not going to simply go sell itself and make you a success in the business world because you are a good inventor, then those people need to find that company to buy or license their product, or they have to go find that entrepreneur to Partner with?
2: The good part about my job, I would say, is things seldom come across my desk. I get summoned by Dean, and Dean, uh, in a very elaborate way, explains not only the idea but also why it's important and having that context as you're trying to figure out how to best protect that intellectual property is fantastic. Sometimes the patent system helps as well by looking to see what other people have done. You're able to come up with that next stepping stone, that next innovation that moves it even one step further. So I'd I'd love to feel that I'm part of that process.
0: Patents play a huge role in the everyday operations and long-term viability of DECA.
1: At this point, I have, I'm very proud to say, hundreds of patents and throughout my organization now here at DECA, we have thousands of patents and uh, it's the core of our business. I mean, I'm sitting in a room and the lights are on. We pay our electric bill and there's furniture we own it and we give everybody their their salary and their careers, and yet we don't make a single product that we sell to the world.
2: DECA's business model, by and large, so the vast majority of the time, uh, DECA continues to own its intellectual property and licenses it out on a product-specific, field-specific basis. So some of the same underlying technology can be used in more than one invention. DeCA tries not to assign a patents, not to transfer the ownership of the patents, but to enable companies to use that intellectual property for what they need to use it for in exchange for a license royalty.
1: What pays my electric bill and the salaries of all my great people is that we create these better solutions to problems, we get patent protection on them, so that we can go to big companies that have to invest huge amounts of monies in some cases to bring these ideas to scale, to bring them to, in some cases, the millions of people that need them. But in order to get some big company to invest that kind of money and time to create this new solution, they'd have to know that when they're all done, They own it. They have something that they can use to create a profitable, successful business solving people's problems.
2: There's lots of different ways to monetize a license, but typically monetizing it on a net sales basis or on a fee per product basis is frequently a good way. Because I think from Dean's perspective, and it's one I've always shared, if you can be on the same side of the table where you win when your partner wins, um, that's the best way to have a long lasting business relationship.
1: So the critical aspect of DACA, my company's business model, is that we get patents that people can be comfortable that are worth investing the time and money to bring them to reality. I think people don't invest in something unless they believe they will benefit from that investment of their time and of their money. And you wouldn't build a house unless you own the land. Well, people aren't going to go build products around a new idea unless they essentially can own the idea, at least for some period of time. And that's what a patent does for you.
0: In 2012, Dean saw potential for a massive win-win business relationship. While tweaking the mechanisms of his home dialysis machine, he developed a system that could purify tap water that required less operating power than a hairdryer. He named his new water purifier the Slingshot as the appropriate weapon for the water crisis, which he refers to as Goliath.
2: So it uses a series of different inventions, um, some of which Dean had used for other projects, other technologies, and some of which are interesting extensions of earlier technology that he had come up with.
0: He recognized the worldwide benefits it could provide. But to get this tool to disaster areas and places in the world with water pollution issues, he would need far-reaching distribution capabilities. By a stroke of luck, He had recently been approached by the Coca-Cola company.
2: Coca-Cola was interested in coming up with technology that could do a number of things. One is microdose, and the other one is develop recipes on demand. If you add certain flavors or certain additives, that's going to change what the remainder of the flavors and the remainder of additives and the amounts that you're going to put in it would be in order to come up with a good end solution, a good end beverage. And so a number of DECA technologies, as I said, one of the reasons DECA likes to continue to own patents is it can stand on its own shoulders in continuing innovation. And so um, I think, in fact, Coca-Cola had probably looked up some of his patents and some of that technology, which may be why they came to Dean in the first place. So Dean ended up uh, striking a deal with the chairman of Coca-Cola that Coca-Cola would partner with DECA on trying to get its philanthropic potable water machine out to people who needed it. In exchange, DECA would help with the Soda Fountain Project.
0: Waterborne diseases kill millions of people, mostly children, each year, which makes polluted water one of the world's greatest threats to humanity. Dean believes that 50% of the world's medical issues can be solved with clean water.
2: One of the best things about Dean is he is driven by a true sense of altruism. Obviously, DECA needs to make money, he needs to pay his employees, but because it's a privately held company, DECA can do what Dean wants it to do, and very luckily, that means helping a lot of people, creating a lot of technology that maybe other companies wouldn't do because not each of them is a financial success. Sometimes he creates things just because he believes they need to exist, not because they're gonna be a good business. And being able to work for somebody like that is truly amazing.
1: Yeah, I don't think a metric for measuring the success of an invention is necessarily monetary. It depends on what your goals are. I think the greatest invention uh, I've ever embarked on was creating more inventors. I founded FIRST, an organization which is a not-for-profit. It'll never make money. And the word FIRST stands for, for inspiration and recognition of science and technology. But Once I realized how important it is to create a larger pool of inventors and creators and problem solvers in a world that's getting more and more complex and more and more in need of solving problems more quickly, whether it's global warming or access to food or water or cybersecurity, communications, transportation, healthcare, I said, what if we could make the world of science and technology and inventing every bit as accessible and seem to be every bit as rewarding and fun to participate in as, as basketball or a concert. If we could do that, we could get to the hearts and minds of kids early enough that they could spend a lot of their time up as I did, using their imagination to imagine better solutions to a problem and then using their education to give themselves the tools to actually turn those imaginings into
0: reality. His commitment to advancing the next generation of makers has been rewarding to Dean on many levels, emotionally and practically. Many promising engineers have emerged from first.
1: FIRST has become a phenomenal recruiting tool for my company and I know by talking to some of the 3700 corporate sponsors that we have that are sponsoring 70,000 teams that most of the big companies recognize it's not just good for their community. FIRST is a fantastic way to do recruiting to get to kids at a young age and the universities we have something like 200 universities that are involved with FIRST and they're at all our events scouting and recruiting for their incoming uh, students, just the way the sports teams in colleges do their scouting and recruiting from, from high school. So, so first, it really is a win-win-win. I hear that over and over and over again, that the impact that first has is very real and very positive. Because it's a program that everybody that touches it gets more out of it than they put
0: into it. First Robotics is about curiosity and teamwork. There's no barrier to entry related to grade point average or household income. Part of the reason it's set up this way is to make sure we don't miss out on the future Dean Kamen, someone who struggled to find his place in school but thrived outside of the typical academic rubric.
1: I think the most important advice to give any would-be inventor Is that the difference between the process of inventing and the process of going through a class and getting an A? Is going through the class and getting an A. To get the A, you have to demonstrate that you read all that material, you learned what other people have learned how to do, and you can repeat it back and check it against the answer that's in the back of the book. And if they're the same, you've proved that you have, quote, learned inventing isn't something you can learn how somebody did it because the definition of an invention is solving a problem in a novel way that's never been done. That's much messier than the process of internalizing for yourself the one right way that the book says is the way to solve a problem that perhaps hundreds or thousands of people found the wrong way to not solve. Instead, learn that as you go through the process of inventing, inevitably you will fail and fail again, and fail again. And what I tell every would-be inventor is be prepared to fall down seven times, or eight times, or nine times. But as long as you're prepared to get up each time, and as long as you stand up one more time than you fell down, eventually, you're going to be standing on a solution to a problem. You'll be standing on an invention. You'll feel exhilarated by that. And that's what the world is always in in need of.
0: We've featured many inventors, makers, and entrepreneurs. But since we have the rare pleasure of speaking with an actual patent attorney, we thought we'd pass along some insider tips.
2: The one thing I will tell you is you have to be thinking about patenting your invention before you disclose it really to anyone. There's a few exceptions to that, but I'll just give it a blanket rule. Before you start talking to people, you should make sure that you're thinking about patenting it. There are some grace periods. There are ways of doing it as a provisional patent that's a fairly easy way to do, even for sometimes the inventor himself. The USPTO has some great resources on how individual inventors might go about thinking about that. But it's really once you have a feeling for how your invention works, It's never too early to start thinking about patenting it, and definitely before you share it with anybody else. Intellectual property, in many ways, you're creating the future, and what an exciting career that is.
0: Thanks to our guests, Dean Kamen and Maureen Tui, as well as our sponsor, Squire Patent Boggs. And thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of Stroke of Genius. I'm Andrea Madho, and this podcast is produced by Atwell Media on behalf of Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. Please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts.